0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT-certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. This episode focuses on the wines of Brazil. I'm interviewing Flavio Pizzato, a winemaker from uh, southern Brazil, and he is going to talk all about the wines Brazil. Okay, my name is Flavio Pizzato.
1: I am a, a, a chief winemaker at Pizzato. So I'm graduated in uh, winemaking and viticultural studies in the local school in Alves, which is in, which is in the center of the, the wine producing region in, in the south of Brazil. Which is the main region, main wine-producing region in Brazil? Okay, so I am also one of the founders of Pisat Winery, which is dedicated mainly to fine wine production, uh, not only wine but also sparklings uh, by traditional methods. So this is my resume. Before we
0: focus on your region, uh, can you give an overview of Brazilian wine? the different regions and styles of wine made in Brazil?
1: Yeah, oh, uh, the, the main, the main uh, Brazilian wine region, or Brazilian wine making and wine production in Brazil is located in the very south of Brazil. It's a, it's a place uh, called uh, Rio Grande do Sul, it's one of the states of Brazil, uh, which was uh, settled by Italian immigrants by the end of the 19th century. So, the Italians brought with, with them uh, the, the wine production, the grape growing and wine production tradition from Italy. Uh, this part of Brazil, uh, different than the other parts of Brazil, is a uh, subtropical to temperate climate. So, uh, in the very south of Brazil, we do have the four seasons. So, it, it's not a tropical or equatorial region like the remainder of Brazil. Uh, of course, uh, we are in the transition uh, between the, the tropical and the temperate climate regions. So we do have uh, good seasons, not so good seasons, thanks to some rain. Uh, like n- right now, for example, we are in the bud burst uh, as the stage of the vineyard. But uh, for example, in this week we, we did have a lot of rain and also uh, uh, some problems related to the excess rain. Not mainly to the vineyard because we are just in the budburst uh, time of the year, but uh, some rivers located uh, nearby uh, transported. So we are, we are facing several problems of flood in our region, okay, right now. Uh, as I mentioned before, 85 to 90 percent of the wine produced in Brazil is made in our region called Serra Gaúcha. What's the meaning of Serra Gaúcha or Serra Gaúcha? Uh, it's something like uh, the Rios just after the Pampa region that starts in Argentina comes to Uruguay and the south of Brazil. So just before reaching. From the let's say uh, from the Andean uh, uh, mountain chain, uh, then start the Gausha, the plains the, from from the gausho region, and then just after uh, going uh, to the Atlantic Ocean, the other side of the South America, uh, we do have a mountain chain again. So this mountain chain is called Serra. Serra is the Portuguese word for that mountain chain, and Serra Gaúcha, thanks to the Gaúcho, by the end of the Pampa starts a mountain chain, and then we do have also the Atlantic Ocean, so this is the location. Uh, the the, The remainder part of Brazil also produces wines, so we do have a production of wines in several states, except by the the amazon forest or the amazon region uh, and the border of uh, paraguay and up mainly to the west because going to east going to atlantic ocean side nowadays we do have also producing the tropical area called uh, southwest of brazil or sudeste southeast of brazil in this part during the summer, they they do have a lot of of, uh, of uh, rain, so they extend they extend the, uh, the the grape growing season, making a second plant during uh, the summer, and then the cycle start again. And they harvest in the winter time. In their winter time, they don't have cool time like in the south of Brazil but uh, instead uh, it's uh, not so hot but it's it's, it's sunny with a lot of sun and also it's dry so they make uh, a winter harvest so they call their wines the winter harvest wines in the southeast of Brazil Uh, it's it's just in the beginning because that technique started to be spread uh, during the 2010s 2011 2012 so but they are making uh, very nice wines of course it's an expensive region thanks to the fact that you do have an uh, extended grape growing season yeah and also and very strange for uh, the traditional uh, regions of grape growing people we do have also grape growing in the northeast of Brazil. In such place, we do have equatorial near the equator line. Uh, if you go to the west, you have the Amazon forest, but in the east, in the other side, uh, uh, near uh, through the Atlantic Ocean, we do have a dry season uh, or dry uh, climate uh every time of the year low rain so no rain at all in some years and they use irrigation to control the grape growing season since they don't have cold time because you are in the equator line Uh, since they don't have a lack of sun or uh, illumination they use irrigation to control the grape growing season in such place, it's possible to have uh, in, the, in the neighborhood some vineyard in the harvest time, some vineyard in the, in like the winter time, uh, the, 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 the vineyard is in, is in the pruning time, for example, and in the nearby some vineyard with the bud burst, thanks to controlling the season using irrigation and also some hormones to wake up uniformly the, the, the vine. So this is called uh, the northeast side of our production. But again, they are in the beginning, uh, in fact, uh, not so in the beginning, they start to producing grapes in the past, mainly to uh, to table grapes, and then they start to make wine by the end of the 1990s. And nowadays, we do have a very uh, two two big wineries located there, Miolo, which is started in Vale dos Vinhedos inside Serra Gaúcha, and also a company called Rio Sol, which is part of a Portuguese group called Global Wines, Portuguese from Portugal, yeah. Global Wines, so uh, they make uh, very good wines by now. So we are they are trying to to improve the final results in the last 10, 12 years, thanks to the establishment of this company called Miolo and thanks to the establishment of this business from Global, global Wines from Portugal.
0: So um, Brazil, a very big country. Let's let's focus on your region. Which great varieties do you um, plant and make wine from?
1: Yes, in our region, uh, the, in fact, historically uh, in Brazil, the. The dominance or the majority of the grape growing uh, in Brazil is related to American grapes wines from Vitis labrusca, like Isabella, Ives, and so on, uh, labruscas and hybrids, uh, because when the German the Germans came uh, before the Italians, yeah, by the beginning of 19th century, they should, even the Portuguese people that discovered Brazil. They tried to introduce Portugal or Portuguese grapes or European grapes at all, German and also Italians, but by that time the technology was not so developed and the vitis vinifera, fine wine grape production, they were not viable here. So they they discovered that the American grapes, the ones that the origin is in the east of the United States, adapted well in this place. So in the beginning and up. Even nowadays, the dominance of grape growing in Brazil is related to Vitis labrusca and hybrids. We can say that, for example, for the Brazilian wine market, 60% of the Brazilian wine market is provided by wines made with Vitis labrusca on hybrids grapes. Okay. Uh, in the fine wine side, because in Brazil fine wine is related to Vitis vinifera grape growing and winemaking based on such grapes. Uh, the main grapes in our region are Merlot for reds and Chardonnay for whites, and Chardonnay Pinot Noir for base wine for spotlings, in Serra Gaúcha wine region, which is inside Rio Grande do Sul. And is responsible for 85 to 90 percent of the uh, wine made in Brazil. We do have several new regions. Not uh, not so. Uh, not so yeah, I mentioned the south east of Brazil and the northeast of Brazil, but even here in Rio Grande do Sul, near the border of Uruguay, in the south of Rio Grande do Sul, we are not in the hills. We are in a plain, or the gaúcho side. Or the Pampa side region of Rio Grande do Sul, we do have a very good production of Tanat grapes. Several producers uh, are uh, are making very nice Tanat grapes wines, Cabernet Sauvignon grapes uh, wines based uh, that came from near the border of Uruguay. Again, it's a region that developed more by the beginning of the 2000s, after we had a very a very uh, high demand of grapes to make fine wine in Brazil, from the beginning of 2000 to 2005, we had a lack of Merlot, Stanat, Cabernet, Chardonnay, because we we did have a surge in the fine wine consumption in Brazil. So several companies from Serra Gaúcha started to develop vineyards in this region near the border of Uruguay, thanks to the fact such region is not so... Uh, mountain-based. It's more easy to work. Uh, The climate also is a bit drier when compared to Serra Gaúcha. So uh, we developed several vineyards in that place. So TANAT dominates such region. Uh, Going north from Rio Grande do Sul, the next state is called Santa Catarina. Santa Catarina also was uh, settled by German and Italian people, and in such region, uh, mainly after 2005, uh, we had a, a lot of developments in uh, uh, vitis vinifera grape growing. Now we do have a very nice production of Sauvignon Blancs, Sauvignon Blanc in, in such region uh, It's called uh, Vinhos de Altitude or wines from the highlands of the south of Brazil. In such place, for example, we do have, it's the only place that in Brazil, not every year, but for several years, we do have snow. We are snow. In such region is something like two, 1,200 meters above the sea level. Uh, in Serra Gaúcha, for example, the average is six to 700 meters above the sea level. In Campanha Gaúcha, near the border of Uruguay, we are talking about 200 meters above the sea level if you go north and go to the southeast of brazil for the winter harvest, uh, harvest winter harvest vines uh, the dominance is with syrah syrah grape yeah and in the northeast of brazil in that region uh, equatorial climate region uh, we do have syrah we do have chenin blanc we do have also a lot of uh, muscat-based grapes or muscat-style aromatic grapes uh, intended in the past to make only uh, table grapes for consumption and now it's a base uh, production used also to make sparklings, mainly uh, asti asti style sparklings.
0: i saw on your website that you also make wine from alicante boucher and what is that like
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a, I usually says that uh, we do have, we, we do have. Uh, for example, I make uh, three wines with grapes like Alicante Boucher, Tanat and and Ejodola. Such grapes, you don't you don't have to extract color and tannins from the grape. They came from the field with the two hands full of tannins. Uh, and Alicante Boucher, one handful of tannins and one handful of color. Uh, Alicante Boucher is very colorful, is a century is grape, uh, mostly used in Portugal nowadays, making varietal wines, but it's used in old wine, uh, old white, to, to color some wines. So, our Alicante Boucher is very uh, strong in that sense, strong, it's very full-bodied in tannin content. Is not so alcoholic in our region. In fact, Sierra Goucha is a region uh, related to. We can compare in terms of alcohol production and also climate behavior, uh, temperature, humidity, rain, rain uh, periods, etc. Is comparable with perhaps uh, Bordeaux in that sense. Not with the traditional side, of course. Not so famous of course, so uh, thanks to that the Alicante Boucher is tanning, very tanning, uh, colorful, a good acid content, uh, a good potential for aging, uh, a fresh wine, full-bodied for the Brazilian standards of course, not in an alcoholic sense, but uh, fresh at the same time with dark fluid uh, expression, like Amora, I had to say in English, I forget the the word, but uh, olive, uh, black olive, olive, black olive, and also uh, some boa expression, even wood expression, and also some aromas related to blueberry, but also um, dark fruits, dark small fruits, yeah. And
0: Tanat, how is that different from Uruguay or from Madiran in France? Uh,
1: in fact, uh, we can say that our Tanat, they resemble more Madiran than Uruguayan. Despite the fact that uh, uh, Uruguay climate and Uruguay general conformation of the terroir, let's say, in terms of climate, soil, uh, position, mm-hmm. Uh, normally, we, our expression is not so far from Uruguayan style for red wines. Okay, we can say that our tannins from Serra Gaúcha they are normally more acidic and more, and they are fresher. Uh, the body is very similar in terms of tannin content, alcohol content, but uh, I believe that the main difference is related to the ability or the know-how of uh, uh, dealing with Tanat. In that sense, Tanat is probably 20 years ahead saying ourselves. We started to have more Tanats by the 1990s. For example, my father planted or established the Tanat vineyard in 1987-1988, just after visiting what was going on in Uruguay by that time, because by that time Uruguay was changing their viticulture and winemaking processes in order to uh, export more wine. Since they are a small country, they they refurbished their entire vineyards, not changing from Tanat, but uh, uh, improving the Tanat area and planting other grapes using uh, better uh, vine material uh, free of virus, etc in order to improve their in- the industry, uh, the wine industry, uh, uh, toward exports, let's say. By that time, so a uh, Brazilian company decided to 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 introduce uh, 80 grape grow- 80 grape growers of vitvinaira grapes in Brazil to check what's going on in Uruguay. So, such people went to Uruguay, among them my father, and then they came back, 12 of the 80 families that visited Uruguay to check what's going there, decided to plant, by that time, uh, some uh, tanat uh, ejodula, merlot and chardonnay, not uh, uh, back in Pergola system, but in VSP system. So, in fact, uh, my father and also Another 11 families were pioneers in Serra Gaúcha in planting VSP by, the, by a time that there were no VSP production in Serra Gaúcha. We started to make one uh, 10 years after that in 1999. So just I extended the, your, uh, the answer to your question about tanats. But again, uh, we are making very nice tanats in, in, in the last few years. Some people usually say, mainly in Europe, for example, usually says that the or mainly TANATS are comparable uh, to the, not the top ones TANATS, but uh, they are comparable to the best TANATS in in Uruguay. For example, uh, we at Pisato export some TANATS to France, Netherlands, UK, and we uh, compete in that sense Uh, very well with uh, TANATS from Uruguay. Of course, I respect Uruguayan TANATS from my colleagues from uh, Bose, uh, Garzon, uh, Deicas, which are top friends of my family also. Uh, They they really make a difference in TANATS, in my opinion. They do have have, uh, the experience and the know-how that we are just beginning here, I, I believe.
0: So the modern history of um, winemaking in Brazil is very recent, so everything is still developing.
1: Yeah I can say that the, the big change in the Brazilian, uh the Brazilian wine industry happens uh, in the 1994- 1995, by that time, just after Brazil was open to, in, to international international wine imported wine and also Brazil opened uh, economically. Uh, so people in Brazil uh, started to visit other countries, tourists and also business people. They started to to be introduced to the wine cultures and the wine regions and wine. in uh, the wine, as uh, it was made by the 90s, worldwide. Yeah. So when back to Brazil, such people uh, decided to oh why. Our wine is not in that way, not, not so contemporary, let's say. So uh, we needed to, to develop our industry. Uh, simultaneously, also the, the the world was open to Brazil. So several of ourselves, several Brazilian people started to check what's going on in Europe, United States, in Australia, uh, and even here in Uruguay, Argentina, and Chile. So we developed our production um, initially, mainly in the grape and in the wine making, mainly in the wineries. But after improving and bringing technology to Brazil, uh, and consultancy, better equipment, better communication for the wine sale uh, to, win- to sell wine, uh, the, the main challenge was with the grapes. So by the end of the 1990s, Several grape wine producers started to plant in their vineyards and starting to demand from the grape growers better material, better grapes. So by the end of the 90s, we really probably reached a good point of maturity. And also, thanks to the thanks to the French paradox news that came to Brazil by the way by the end of the 1990s we had starting in 2000 1999 2000 a surge in in wine uh, red wine had had fine wine demand in brazil because the french paradox in brazil uh, was communicated as related to uh, vitis vinifera wines uh, uh, red wines yeah so thanks to that I believe that you recall that I mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, by the 2000 up to 2004, we had a lack of uh, red, deep v- uh, v- vinifera grapes in Brazil, and several, and several uh, vineyards establishing started in the south of the Rio Grande do Sul near the border of Uruguay. So we really had a, a, a big a big expansion of vineyards uh, and uh, a growing interest on Brazilian fine wine from 1999 up to 2004. Back to 1999-2000, for example, we started to make wine in 1999, but we we had a long tradition of grape growing, or Vitz Vinifra grape growing. Since my great-grandfather that was trained by uh, French and Italian uh, technicians, Technicians by the 1940s, but uh, in this time, uh, for example, in 1999, 2000, 2001, we had, for example, the first uh, Brazilian wine guide ever, dedicated to Brazilian wine. We had the two first uh, wine magazines dedicated 100% for, 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 for Brazilian wine, for example, and then they started to develop also to cover international wine too of course but uh, it was a time that really uh, things really changed for Brazilian wine yeah starting by the mid 1990s and mainly in Vale dos Vinhedos the places that are located but by that time I was not a winery. For example in 1995 Vale uh, Vale dos Vinhedos was established as a wine tourism uh, place inspired by Napa Valley, uh, several producers by that time was provoked by a local, local provider of uh, enological uh, supplements or enological products. So uh, that people was provoked to visit Napa Valley. And then they, but not only from Valde for all Serra Gaúcha, if I'm not mistaken, they were 30 or 35 wineries. That visit Napa Valley, and then they then when they came back to to Saragossa, the uh, four wineries that were in the visit to Napa decided to start association called APRO Valley or Associação de Produtores de Vinhos Finos do Vale dos Vinhedos, or Fine Wine Producers or Vale dos Vinhedos Association, yeah? And they decided to start the the wine route called Val dos And simultaneously, one of the producers asked for the others, Oh, why not to start on a geographic indication at the same time? So uh, in Val dos we had simultaneously a, a wine route, the first wine route in the South America, the formal, even in Argentina and Uruguay by that time or, or Chile, there were not. Uh, wine routes. The first one probably was Val dos Vinhedos. But simultaneously, we started also, a, a, that people started a geographical indication that was recognized in 2001. Why? Why so much time after? Because there were no geographical indication rules in Brazil. The Vale dos Vinhedos started the first one and helped to the local authority in Brazil to start the Brazilian laws for geographical indications. Okay? So, uh, this was the, the center of the change of the Brazilian wine. Thanks to Miolo Winery, that originally established in Valos Vinhedos, Valduga, Don Lorindo, uh, Don Candido, they were the top producers that started Valos Vinhedos. And probably, thanks to that union around that idea, they started us to change the wine, because one of these wineries, was very pioneer in changing the style of the wine using new oak, small barrels, uh, barriques, uh, using also a contemporary communication. It was Miolo. there is no reason to not say Miolo was a pioneer on that. Uh, Adriano studied the international wine market by that time and so he brought uh, to our region several ideas and also the change of the Brazilian uh, winemaking and wine communication. After that, thanks to their success, grape growers like ourselves started to make wine. Uh, so uh, from 1998 to, to 2000, uh, if I'm not mistaken, more than 50 winers started to make fine wine, inspired by these pioneers, my colleagues from Valdeziennes. Okay?
0: and who is drinking brazilian wine because i saw that consumption in brazil is quite low about three liters per person per year which is very low compared to other wine producing countries so what is the market for brazilian wine
1: uh who's drinking uh brazilians Uh, brazilians uh, uh, we can say that probably 98 percent of the brazilian wine is sold in brazil of course the consumption it was 3 liters per capita during the pandemic, because during the pandemics we, we had a surge in wine consumption. Right now, since last year, right now, it's probably around 2.3 liters per capita, in fact. So, uh, when compared to cachaça, which is probably around 7 liters, and cerveja or beer, which is around 70, 70 liters per capita, we are pretty uh, low consumption in wine, but of course the brews want to improve that figures. After 2005, when we had uh, a big uh, overrating of our currency, uh, and thanks to that, uh, imported wine started to dominate uh, the consumption of fine wine in Brazil, Orvitos Vinifra wine is dominated by imported wine. Not that f- the whole figure of wine, because 60% of the wine in Brazil, the consumption is related to vitis labrusca hybrid grapes. Okay, but the remainder 40%, which is uh, fine uh, wine and fine sparkling, uh, is dominated by Chilean. Chile has uh, 40 to 45% of the, the share of the fine wine consumption in Brazil. So uh since two thousand five, we had a, a, a improving sophistication in consumption of the wine in Brazil, and also uh, slowly there is a, a improving also in the consumption per capita. Of course, by that time it was around one point eight per capita. Now it's two point three. It increased not so much, but people is drinking better. So the share of the which is Labrusca grapes, which is normally uh, a, a wine that is uh, sweetened using sugar, yeah, uh, is is decreasing and is increasing the fine wine, which is normally uh, dry wine, or at most uh, Denisec, is not so sweet like uh, the one the Labrusca wines. Normally, the people that consume wine in Brazil is is something like uh, the medium class, the high medium class, uh, and above, mainly the fine wine, uh, the fine uh, or the Vitis vinifera grapes wine, yeah. And the the wine made with Labrusca is spread because even uh, high incoming families still drink Vitis Labrusca uh, wines because uh, they they uh, they built. The taste uh, or the preference around that kind, that style of wine, which resembles a lot with the the foxy, the foxy side, they are used to that because, as I mentioned before, historically uh, the Brazilian wine producing was based in Labruscas, mainly from the time that Portuguese people came to Brazil, and then after the big increase of the wine producing. During the, the end of the nineteenth the century, when the Italians started to to make wine not only for themselves but also to sell, but by that time, thanks to technology, thanks to adaptation, the only grape that was uh, economically viable was the Vitis labrusca, the American grapes Yeah.
0: You make sparkling wine. Tell me about sparkling wine in Brazil.
1: Yeah, wines is a very, uh, very well established in the industry in Brazil. Uh, historically, uh, thanks to our climate condition, and also the, the technology that came with the uh, international companies that established by the 1970s in Brazil, like Chambon, Martini Rossi, Pernod Ricard, uh, Almaden, who else? Uh, they brought with the technology to make uh, wine but also sparkling wine and thanks to the fact that by that time the production was mostly impervious uh, they decided to improve the production of sparklings when compared to fine wine still still yeah still, still wine fine still wine yeah so we do, uh, in average, also uh, we are more challenged to have uh, good grapes to make still wine when compared to sparkling, because sparklings they are more technologically uh, dependent, than grape or, or ripened grapes, yeah. But this is a thing of the 1970s, 1980s. Uh, and also nowadays, it's easier to make sparklings in Serra Gaúcha than make uh, fine wine with with vitis vinifera. And Brazilians, mainly during the 2005 up to 2012, by that time we uh, we recall that I mentioned that we were we had a lack of head uh, grapes to make fine wine grapes in Brazil. But uh, in 2005, when our currency overrated and Brazilian people wanted uh, red wine, uh, the solution for red wine was import wine, mainly for Argentina in the first moment. And thanks to the currency taxes uh, in favor of imported wine from Day to night, back today, uh, Brazilian uh, steel wine was considered expensive when compared to imported wine. But not for sparklings. Why not? Because our competitors for sparklings were not South American wine, it was the European sparklings. Of course, our exchange rate was strong when compared to Euro, also, not only for compared to dollar. But uh, for South America imported wine, there were no import taxes. And for Europe, there are import taxes. So, thanks to that fact, the average perception of the Brazilians from 2005 up to 2012 was, oh, still wine, Brazilian still wine is is good, but expensive. So, uh, we had a, a, a very competitive time for still wine and sparkling becomes even stronger because before that 70% of the sparkling consumed in Brazil was Brazilian and after that and it continues up to date, 85 to 90% of the consumption of sparklings in Brazil is for Brazilian sparkling. So with, uh, Brazilian sparkling is very strong in the mind of Brazilian they are very they, they have good price uh, uh, they have a good quality uh, co- when compared to imported sparkling. And again, our neighbors here in Argentina, Uruguay, and Chile—they never, uh, this, except by the last five to seven years, they are investing a lot in sparkling. Mainly Chile. Uh, in the past, they don't use—they don't u- uh, they didn't use to uh, be big producers of sparklings. Argentine sparkling, for example, is is more a, uh, is more uh, developed than Chilean, for example. But they they had a lot of consumption inside Argentina for sparklings, and they were not interested in exporting to Brazil by that time, by 2005, etc. So uh, again, uh, in the mind uh, in the mind of the Brazilians, Brazilian sparkling is very good, and it is it, true, it's good, it's very good in the traditional style, mainly in the Charmat or Cuvé closet style. And for uh, Asti-like process, uh, or Asti process or Charmat, but with one fermentation only, uh, the uh, Moscato-like, Moscatel-like sparklings, we are even stronger. Uh, Brazilians love such character for sparklings and We are very competitive even when compared to Italian ones, yeah. Competitive in terms of price quality uh, ratio, yeah. And again, uh, in for several years, uh, despite the fact that uh, we do have a very good uh, reception, even for still wine, still, of course, made with its vinifera because internationally. Uh, Labrusca uh wines uh, not in the United States of course but in Europe and other countries uh, uh, wines must have to be made with bits beneath uh, yeah so uh, internationally speaking all Spartans are very respected because they uh, they for the price uh, standpoint uh, they, they, they they provide a very good uh quality price ratio yeah when compared to the f- still fine wine i can say that uh, the top uh Vitus vinifera uh, beverage or wines in brazil uh rates are both are almost the same the top ones for still wine and sparkling wine but the average is better for sparkling because in, in still wine we do have a lot of variation, still thanks to the fact that we do have also a lot of variation among uh, vintages. We are in a region. We are in the New World, let's say, in terms of New World wine producers. But our climate and also Uruguayan climate is not desertic climate. It's a climate with no irrigation because we don't need irrigation. We do have natural water from the skies, yeah? So, thanks to that, as you probably know better than myself, uh, uh, we, we do have uh, vintage variation, like the World World uh, wine country. And
0: your sparkling wine is the traditional
1: method? Only traditional method. I do make uh, two lines, both by traditional. The Pizzato brand, which is based in Vale dos Vinhedos vineyard, uh, we do have four sparklings, three of them with the duo Valdos Vinhedos or denominação de origem Vinhedos. To be a Duo wine, to be a dual sparkling with the Valdos dos Vinhedos uh, signature or uh, Duo seal, so you must have to use traditional method and at least 60% of Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or a blend of the two basic wines, base wines at least nine months uh surlats i use 15 months for my sparklings. i do have a fourth sparkling from world's but it's not permitted to be a dual sparkling because i sell it with the lease inside is a sur sparkling uh, so I, I i i don't make the disgorgement i change only the crown cap and put the final cork but without uh, the disgorging process of taking off the lees. For the Fausto line, my, my brand, which is related to uh, wines from my younger vineyard located inside Serra Gaúcha but outside the small spot called Valdos Vinhedos, uh, I do make a, a brand called Fausto from Dr. Fausto Vineyard. Such uh, sparklings are uh, eight to nine months sur lie also based on Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but they are younger in the style. They are not far from a cuvee closet sparkling or Charmat method sparkling. I usually joke that the Pisato line is more a black tie sparkling uh, trying to to mimic uh, champagne Uh, and the Fausto line is a a, a sparkling that uses Havaianas So traditional, but not so traditional. So it's, it's younger in style, uh, not so more, it's fresher, it's, it's more fruit forward. But again, we intend to be at least 10, 12 months uh, so, so lots in the future to be more in the midterm, but also characterizing it more, more as a traditional thing as Charmat, thanks to the thanks to the position that you need to be uh, when you make traditional, thanks to the coasts and also characteristics, etc. And which countries
0: are your wines available in?
1: In uh, United States, I, I am available only in New York, but just a small selection. In the past, I was available also in California, but by the local importer, I stopped to import my wines. Uh, Canada, I am available in, in, in Montreal, in Quebec. And in the uh, also UK, UK I, I, I do have a, a very good selection of my wines there, mainly the Pizzato line, the top line, yeah. Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, France. But uh, in the past, I also exported to China, Japan. But these countries that I mentioned, they are regular uh, destinations. United States, uh, United States is not so regular. Is every two or three years. And also China, uh, Poland, uh, they are not so every year, but small quantities, very small quantities. I am in the the Brazilian, in the Brazilian, uh, I can say, in the Brazilian general scene of wine production, I am a a mid to small uh, size producer. I sell. Last year I sold uh, 400,000 bottles. It's not so small, but also it's not so big. like New World wineries in average. Normally they talk about uh, 5, 10 million bottles. It's not our case, okay?
0: Well, thank you. Um, that's been a good introduction to Brazilian wine. I hope my listeners have uh, learned quite a lot about Brazil and maybe try and find the wines in their local market.